uh, you're dismissed to the back uh, with your teachers. Uh, good morning, guys. Uh, I'm really excited to be here. Um, to be able to just, there's just something, just a blessing, just be able to sing together, right? Like it just encourages my heart. My friend Christian's back in town from serving in Iraq. Yes. <laughs> Literally made my day seeing your face, man. And so I love you, buddy. Um, I love you guys. I'm excited to be in the Word today. We're going to be in John 17. Um, here's my goal. My goal is to not scream, guys. Um, listen, I, I'm, not, I'm not mad when I scream. I'm excited. But I know it can be tough sometimes. And so um, it's a very pastoral text. So I want to be very pastoral as I preach this in John 17. Um, I was praying for us this morning. And um, I was just struck uh, as a spirit of God. Uh, do, you, do, you, do you think that sometimes that God loves everyone, but does he love me? Or does he know me? There is this sense, and A, I know my own heart, and B, I've talked enough of you, where uh, it's easy to feel uh, not known and unseen, isn't it? There are people in this room right now who they have lots of followers on social media or friends. They know lots of people, but they feel utterly alone and just not seen. This is even true in the church world. Uh, I grew up at uh, Calvary Baptist Church over in Shreveport. When I was there, uh, Step Martin was the pastor. That's right. Brother Step. And it was a bigger church, about 1,000 people, I guess. And this is, this is what I remember. It was a big deal when Step knew my name, right? He said, oh, hey, Jason. I'm like, oh, I've arrived now. Brother Step knows my name. Because there's this sense it's so easy to get lost, isn't it? It's easy to like, even in the church, we love each other and brother and all this. We just don't feel known. We don't feel seen. And then we have these gifts of God's word like John 17. You know, there's nothing. Sometimes my kids have like caught me praying for them. And they don't fully get that yet. But I imagine if one of you guys were praying for me. And I walked in your room. I knocked first, obviously. And, um, and if y'all are praying for me, that would bless my heart so much just to hear that, to know that. You get those texts sometimes, right? Hey, I just prayed for you. It's a great text, isn't it? By the way, we should do that more often. We should pray for each other and then text each other we prayed for each other. It's such a blessing. But here we get this peak, almost like a behind-the-scenes kind of thing where we see Jesus praying for us, like literally praying for us. That's one of the greatest blessings, one of the greatest pictures of just love, like just overt love for us, not for his followers then, but for us today. Listen, you find out what someone cares for when you find out what they're praying for, right? And hear this today, Jesus cares for you. Jesus cares for me. He prayed for us. Let's go to John 17. So we're going to tackle starting at verse 20. But in verses 1 through 5, and Luke started this last, but we're going to be here in a few more weeks probably because it's so good. Uh, verses 1 through 5, he's really praying for himself 
and, and, and his relationship with God the Father. And then verses 6 through 19, he's praying for his current disciples of the day, his followers, that they would stay in the faith, that they'd be one, that God would watch over them in the midst of all this persecution. He's praying for them. And then in verse 20, we come here. And as I read this, and this could be, this could be bad sometimes, but just I sometimes made this personal for us. Like we tend to think, yes, the church is universal. And that is who he's referring to. But sometimes, in thinking in a universal way, we forget the specific love he has for, his, for us today. For you, for me, for our church, for our city, for our state, for our country, and for our world. He says here in verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those, or, but also for the people of Covenant Church today, who will believe in me through their word. That they, Covenant Church, us, the church here, may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us. Oh, this is so good. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me. You're seeing these themes develop here. That they may become perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father. Even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. Last verse. I made known to them, he made known to us your name, and will continue to make his name known to us, that the love with which you have loved us, loved me, may be in them, and I in them. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus praying for us. Verse 21 and 23 are very similar, aren't they? He prays that we will be one, that we'll be unified as a people, just like the Father and the Son are unified, that we would be in Christ so that the world could see this great love. What you see Jesus praying for here, he's praying for the church in praying that the church would be this compelling community. He's praying that we, God's people, would be this, of course, unified community, but we'd be this unified, loving people in such a way that the world would take notice. Hello. That's compelling. And we good? We good, Layton? Okay, that's good. That's good. God's here, guys. Um, <laughs> Literally, so I, wrote, I went to the Six Flags this week and rode Texas Giant. And so both things, that just now and Texas Giant, equally scary to me. And so um, <laughs> Connor, bless his heart, was going the whole time, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. And I stopped holding his hand. I'm not lying to y'all. I stopped holding his hand because I was so scared. And Connor called me out and said, Daddy, why did you stop holding my hand? I said, Connor, be quiet. <laughs> Let's get some cotton candy. His prayer is that we would be 
I am glad to be here this morning, guys, that we'd be a compelling community. And there's these three elements. Nothing new for us, really. The first is this up direction. He is praying that we would have union with God. Second, and you know this union, right? Those people, they don't, they're not tossed to and fro. They walk with joy. They walk with hope. They walk with love. People who are walking with God, they're in Christ, there's union. But second, he prayed that we, in this indirection, that we'd have great unity with one another. That we would not get caught up over the lesser things, but the greater thing of our union in Christ and our love for one another would reign supreme. And third, that we'd go out and be a unique people. That we'd be unique to a watching world. Because a watching world, listen friends, is not full of love for one another. But if the church is being the church and being this compelling community, hear this. We should stick out like a sore thumb. We should be unique people. We should be a left-handed people, right? So I'm a lefty. So is Tracy. Lefty, that's right, in the room. Let's go, let's do it. And so when we write, you know when we're writing, right? We're doing this right here, this kind of stuff, right? We stick out. The church's love from God for one another is how we stick out. It's how we're a compelling community. And Jesus, hear this is literally praying we would be these people. You ever been around those friends who have a sick kid? And and when you hear them pray, like, they mean that prayer. Hear this. Jesus means that prayer. It's not his, like, Olive Garden lunch prayer, right? It's a real prayer. He's praying these things would be formed in us. Here's the tough question, though. Is this happening? So we see in the early church, right, we see this book of Acts, this happening, right? You see people, they are, in, they are in Christ. There's this great union. They have great hope, great faith. They are unified with one another. They're loving, they're selling stuff, giving stuff, sharing stuff, suffering together. And listen, the church was compelling. Like there was converts by the day because of this compelling life they had together. We see this also, right, throughout church history. That the church throughout, we see these great revivals, these great movements where this has been true. I believe we see it today in the persecuted church across the world. We see people who are in Christ. They have great union. They have great love. They have compelling lives as they're persecuted. But the question is really not for those things today. The question for us, is this true of us? Are we a compelling community. How about this? Am I doing my part and being a compelling community? All right, it's truth time. Uh, many times, if I'm honest with you, I am just trying to get through the week. Right? Like, you know, we got... Code Ninja on this day and Hattie's dance on this day, and then oh, we got forgot homework here, and then oh, we gotta go to parents' house here, and then we gotta go to work here, we gotta do this here, we gotta do, and I'm just trying to get through the week. And this notion of uh, really like walking in lockstep with God, locking arms as the family of God, when we all have different thoughts on things, right? And as we do that, we're 
this naturally compelling people, many times we just don't have time for it. Or if we're honest, a desire for it. We think about things like Jesus says that his yoke would be easy. And we hear this prayer that he has for us. And we see this message all throughout Scripture. This is not just one text. This is all throughout the New Testament of being this kind of people. We hear this, and if we're honest, it just sounds like more stuff to do, doesn't it? It just sounds like more stuff to do. Well, God, I'm already doing this, this, and this, and I've got to add this to my, I can't do this. I want that God who said, come all who are weary. Where's that God, right? And I just think, and this is me a lot of days myself. And so I I know we're all kind of stuck in this thing where we have reality of life. We live in a certain culture of the way things work. And we have the message, not just the message, but the prayer, the prayers of Jesus. So what do we do with that? What do we do with that, with that tension or with that things aren't lining up? And I think there's a, a key point to be made here. I believe the issue for, for many of us is formation. There is a lack of spiritual formation. Let me keep going. It's we are being formed into something. And in some ways, we've already been formed into a certain way of life that I will argue and I believe is counter to the way of Jesus. And I believe we are bearing the consequences of that formation. So I think the answer to what Jesus prayed for, which is in this text, is how we are formed into him. John Mark Comer says like this, Spiritual formation, by the way, great book I, I'm going to steal from in this, in this uh, sermon today, Live No Lies. Formation isn't just a follower of Jesus' thing. It's a human thing. We're all being formed every minute of every day. We're all becoming someone, intentional or unintentional, conscious or subconscious, deliberate or haphazard. We're all in a process of becoming a person. The question is not if we're being formed, it's who or what is forming us. Listen, Jesus came, hear this, he came to see us spiritually formed and set free. He came to do that. We sing songs of this is my story because we are slaves set free. That's the song of freedom, isn't it? It's why we sing that song. But hear this, hear this, the enemy came to deform us he came to deform and there is this spiritual reality this spiritual battle that Jesus is praying for us against so Jesus in his life and his ministry and this text gives us this framework of these two foundational things for spiritual formations go to verse 20 again He says, he starts off with this, this part of the prayer. He says, I do not ask for these only, talking about his current disciples with him, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That is the church going forward. Hear this. We are here because of the apostles, his first followers, because of the word they passed down. That is our Christian legacy, right? 
Somebody told us, somebody told them, it's the greatest game of telephone ever, right? This passed down gospel through generations of generations of generations. So the current disciples, he's praying that the word that we believed, what is this word? Look at verse 17 in John 20, in John 17, excuse me. He says, sanctify them in the truth, in this word of truth. Let this word of truth be the word that changes them and makes them whole. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so have I sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. That his current disciples will be sanctified in the truth of the gospel message. This is the truth that Peter preached in Acts 2. Acts 2, verse 32, he says this. This is Peter preaching. Jesus ascended. Day of Pentecost, the church being formed. He says this. In this word of truth that we're to believe gives us insight. He says here, Jesus God raised up. And of that, we are all witnesses. This is a statement of historical fact. Does that make sense? Peter wasn't hoping something. Peter saw... Jesus resurrected. It wasn't a guess, wasn't just simple blind faith. Peter saw reality. He saw historical thing and was reporting this historical thing to people who do not believe in this historical thing. Let's keep going. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, Peter is explaining what happened. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. They are seeing and hearing the results of what God did. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has, for certain, for certain, that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Real secret message there from Peter, whom you killed. And so we see here, there's this thing that we think, and we see this in the secular world, where faith is treated as like, a le- as, as like less than science, right? Well, we have science and you have faith. Hear this. Our faith is passed down from historical fact that the God-man rose again from the dead. Church, that's why we're here. It's historical fact passed down from generation to generation. This is the word of truth. The gospel message. And it's the word we use for truth most times. But for today, I want to give us a different definition of this. And the word is reality. That our first foundational principle for for formations is, is reality. The word of truth was reality. What it means, it's a word that we can rely on to find meaning in our lives. Listen, truth is reality and lies are unreality. These lies of unreality are where the enemy pounces on us. The lies of unreality is where the enemy pounces on us. More on that in a minute. To be spiritually formed into Christ, we need to have our minds fixed on this reality. Too many times our minds are fixed on unreality. This is Romans, right? Renewing of your mind. 
And this is just what Jesus is praying for us in this passage. That the word that formed us, this word of truth would sanctify us. This reality would be on the top of our mind. But we do need more than truth and reality. You ever watch, watch G.I. Joe growing up? Who watched G.I. Joe in here, right? G.I. Joe? Yeah. Um, great show. Great show. And well, they had those little uh, PSAs, like knowing is half the battle. Remember those? Um, but here's the problem with that. It's just not true. We know plenty of things we don't do, right? The law was passed down. They, they knew the law, but they kept going away because we need more than reality. Go to verse 26. In John 17, you see here in this prayer for us, he bookends these two pictures. One is this truth and reality, and last is this right here. He says, I have made known to them your name. And I will keep, continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. He says, I will make known your name. This is the work that Jesus did, Right? We were far away. We were the slaves. We were the enemies. But Jesus came near and made known the name of the Father. And he says, and I will keep making it known. That is the work of the Spirit who keeps making the Father's name known. That his love would be in us and Jesus in us. We need reality. We need truth. But he's praying right here that we'd also have relationship. It's these two wings of the plane of spiritual formations. is reality and relationship. We need both of these things for us to be formed into Christ. Think about parenting for a minute, right? We, we see both these in, perfectly in parenting. And I'm an imperfect parent. And so as my Six Flags trip uh, testified. And so, um, but think about your kids for a minute. If you were to Never hug your kids. If you just told your kids what to do, sent them emails for their chores, showed no affection when they cried, you're like, nope, not doing that. You would have this uh, scary kid probably, um, but they're just not loved, right? And they have all kind of issues going forward, right? At the same time, if you only are there in relationship, when you hug your kids, you console them, you love them, make them happy, but never present reality to your kids, they also grow up deformed because we need both reality and relationship to see kids formed properly. See, we need both the relational presence of Jesus, we need him to come near also to make a way for us to God, but we also need the truth of his teachings. That's why he comes as a human and as a teacher. I might see this best um, in the life of a counselor. I, I have seen uh, my counselor Ross for, oh gosh, a lot, 15 years now. I am super old. Um, and, um, you know, Ross is that guy, if he ever got hacked, like an email, we'd all be in trouble, right? All y'all see Ross in here, like has all our secrets, all that kind of stuff. But Ross has this way when you see a good counselor where they bring truth, right? They expose reality. Like, Jason, you're believing a lie right here. But with a real human presence. Well, I feel heard. I feel understood. 
I feel safe, and I feel loved. Here's what we need. We need covenantal truth and covenantal love all together. Without those two things, we're deformed. We're deformed. Here is kind of the big idea for the day. A compelling community is formed by reality and relationship. A compelling community, a Christ-exalting community is formed by reality, what's real, and relationship with God and each other. And here comes our key point for, for, our, for our transformation. It's by relationship and reality that we're transformed to the image of Jesus, but the opposite is also true. It's by isolation and lies that we're deformed into the image of the enemy. Through isolation and lies. Let's go very quick, Genesis 3. Genesis 3, um, it's not on the screen, I don't believe, but Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Now here the serpent is, is the devil, is the enemy. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of the, any of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the, the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, and said, you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that was a delight to the eyes, the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit, and she ate. You see this pattern right here, don't you? He got her isolated away from God where there was no other voice but the voice of the enemy. And then he lied. He distorted reality. And listen, alone and exposed to lies, she was easy prey. Just when we're alone and exposed to lies today, we are easy prey. The truth is, when we're alone, we're just easier to fool, right? I, this has been, I'll tell you, as a pastor, I see this all the time. Where people become isolated from community. They stop being exposed to reality and truth. And then come to me three months later and ask why they have a crisis of faith. It's because absence of community and the truth, we are deformed into the image of the enemy. And it's a natural overflow, a natural consequence that we are going to have a crisis of faith. This is why COVID was so damaging to the church. Because we became isolated, right? In our isolation, we believed a lot of lies. And a lot of people have left the faith because... Of this season. So if reality and relationship make us a compelling community, isolation and lies make our community hard and burdensome. If we're always feeling like the ways of Jesus are just, just such a chore to us, it's probably a check that we're believing a different reality. And there's a good chance we've also isolated ourselves away from truth-telling, loving people. 
So that's our paradigm, right? That we need reality and relationship to form this community that Jesus prayed for. That's, that's the paradigm of formation. We also need these practices to help us do those things, to help us in the day-to-day be formed in these ways. Once again from Comer. By practice, I mean the disciplines by which we mitigate the isolation and lies of the devil in our secular society with the spirit and truth of Jesus and his kingdom. We see in Jesus, in I think Mark and Luke, he has these this thing with the devil, right? In the wilderness where he is tempted three different times by the enemy. And each time Jesus calmly responds with scripture. Doesn't scream, doesn't fight, but hear this. This was spiritual battle at work. Hear this. Our spiritual practices are how we spiritually battle. And there's no, there's no guns, there's no swords. There is spiritual battle. And now, as far as practices goes, there is not some official list we find of what we're supposed to do. But there are, through this story and throughout the New Testament, there's two anchor practices I want to walk through today. The first is right here. It's quiet prayer. Quiet prayer. Jesus alone with God in prayer in the desert here for 40 days, right? This is all throughout his ministry, that he gets away to be with God alone in prayer. This is why, so there's no other inputs in his mind. It's just, it's just him and God. It's this restoring of our relationship with God in prayer. And, and I will say there's three elements of quiet prayer. Three elements of quiet prayer. First, solitude. It's just you and God. It's just you and God. There, there needs to be this kind of singular, it's just me and God, this union and relationship with him. There's solitude, there's silence. This is so important for us in this day and age where there are so many distractions with our phones, with music, with life, with family, with things. We need solitude, we need silence. And third thing, we need to go slow. Go slow. Hurry Say this right, it's the great enemy of the spiritual life. It's not for me, somebody else. Hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life. And, and quiet, silent prayer is the spiritual battle against this thing. Does that make sense? It's the battle against the noise of this world. But listen, if, if we're distracted and if we're hurried, it distorts our relationship with God. And we're being deformed into a different image. We need to slow it down and quiet it down in prayer. It's in quiet prayer the devil's lies are exposed and brought out into the open. So, for example, this week, it was a good week for me. But in my time with God, I'd read God's word, and then I just, I just kind of sit, and I try to practice this. Um, I miss a lot of days. But one day this week, in quiet prayer, um, the Lord exposed the lie that I believe that I'm in control and I should be served. I was believing a reality that wasn't true. And because I lived in this reality, my words to my wife and to my kids were short, mean, and sarcastic. Now, I still messed up that day, I promise you that. I did. But it's in those quiet moments that the Spirit of God exposes 
the lies. And if we never slow down, if we never stop and turn off, those lies never get exposed. And we live this rushed, hurried, loud, weak existence. But if the lies are exposed, we need the truth to speak to the lies. This is why quiet prayer goes hand in hand with our second practice, which is scripture. And I understand I did all this to tell you to read your Bible and pray. I get that. I've done all this. It's the meat and potatoes of the Christian life. Listen, Jesus fought the devil's lies with scripture. He fought his lies with scripture. Too many times we're going into a nuclear holocaust of a world with no bullets in our gun. And we're limping around and we're being shot every single day and we have nothing to shoot back with. Friends, we have God's word. It's our daily bread of life. Listen, hear this. Our thoughts aren't just thoughts. They many times are a spiritual attack. The enemy comes through and distracts, distorts, discourages, all those things. But listen, we can break free if our minds are set on Scripture. We can break free from the thought patterns that distort us into the image of the world and the devil We can be set free if our minds are set on Scripture. All right, about to get, I'm going to warn you now. This is about to get fun for a minute. It's actually not. This is terrible. Um, We are what we give our minds and attention to. We just are. So I, I read this in the book this week. The average American adult watches TV or videos online about five to six hours a day. The average millennial is on their phone four hours a day. This becomes almost a decade of our lives. Barna, recent research, found millennials spend 2,800 hours a year consuming digital content, but only 153 hours of Christian content. We are what we give our minds and attention to. I think this could be me speaking for myself uh, I was a youth group kid I remember the, the burning of the CDs remember those days if you were in youth group if you weren't that's fine don't ask and, um, and there was this real like legalism that we can't touch these things or we're going to be gone right I, I think we've gone too far the other way I will say this I think I have I have allowed myself to be to walk too much in the ways of the world, where we watch and binge every show, we don't miss a, a thing here. We're on our phones constantly. We are playing with things that we should not play with, because we are what we give our minds and attention to. And too many times we're giving our minds and our attention to things that are forming us into something else. See, what happens is the way of Jesus seems like a burden because we bought into the lies and reality for us and we're distorted. The way to kind of counteract this is renewing our minds through Scripture. And I will tell you this, this is a very simple idea and a very hard discipline to master. 
But hear this, the goal of reading scripture is not information, but spiritual transformation. To take on the mind of Christ. Hear this, to actually think like Jesus thinks. To fill our minds so regularly and deeply that it literally rewires our brains. This is the renewing of our minds. There is this sense that we should be so, if, if you're honest, and don't raise your hand, do you feel like you're inundated with social media? Yes or no? Most of us would say yes. Uh, with videos, Netflix, these things many times, there's this thing in, in, in ads called top of mind awareness. When I say fast food, you think McDonald's. That's top of mind awareness. And hear this. We are being formed into the wrong things with the top of our mind. Constant top of our mind are things of the world. We as a people, we must commit to what is good and true and lovely, and we should grow in devouring Scripture more. Reading larger chunks, memorizing, meditating, talking about Scripture should be the foundational parts of our lives. But many times the enemy, his lies are working. He isolates and he lies. But here's the good news. Our Savior comes near. Even when we don't deserve it, he comes near. That's why our songs are songs of mercy. Because in spite of me constantly making it about myself, Jesus keeps pursuing me. In the darkest of my moments, he pursues me. The great song, our sin is great, but what? His mercy is more. That's a song of who we are because he desires relationship with us. But he doesn't come near empty-handed. He comes near with the greatest truth in the world. He gives us reality that through his life, death, and resurrection, we now have hope. That's a truth that we can give our lives for. And it's the truth and the relationship that will ultimately form us. And so my question for us today is what is forming you? Is it the person of Jesus and the truth of his message? Listen, we didn't have time to get into all the implications this means for us as a spiritual family of how we should live for one another, or, or, or how our witness to the world should change in light of this. But just for today, in this singular thought, what's forming you? What's forming you? And what is your step today? I would love on your card for you to write down how, how we can pray for you, or, or what God is leading you to do, or if you want to talk with us about these spiritual steps, let us know how we can partner with God and what he's doing in your life. What is forming you? And what is your step today? Let's pray. Uh, dear Lord, uh, thank you for the good news of the gospel that you came near. That even though um, we certainly did not deserve it, and even though we constantly trip up and rebel and lie and steal and defame your name, You love us.
Your steadfast love and mercy is constantly astounding, and we thank you for that. Father, help us to respond today to that love and mercy. Father, help us to walk in in new practices today, to walk in a new way of life today, Lord. Father, let your kindness lead us to repentance today. Make clear your steps for us. We love you, Jesus. We pray all this in your name. Amen. We're going to end our time today with communion. If uh, you're new here, um, communion is uh, not just for members of Covenant Church, but it's for God's church, for God's faith family. And if you're not a part of God's family, this is not for you because this is, this is a, a meal for the people of God, for people who have surrendered their life to him and call him their Lord and Savior. So just whenever you're ready, you come and partake. But I would encourage you with this. Before you come today, ask God, what is forming me and what step are you asking me to take? Come and be ready.